My name is David Orban, and I am very glad to have uh, all of you following the show. Before we start, I want to remind you that even if we are live, you can always watch past episodes, both on Facebook and on YouTube. And on YouTube, you can also subscribe uh, to the channel. We also have a Discord community, and I invite you to join on davidorban.com Discord. And finally, if you find the show valuable, as well as the other content that I produce together with my team and the knowledge that I share, you're welcome to become a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash davidorban. Today's episode is Understanding, Understanding. The age of the polymath is not over. We can successfully search for meaning in a broad variety of areas driven by passion for knowledge, curiosity, and a sense of awe. And today's guest is Richard Saul Warman, who is an architect, a graphic designer, a creator of conferences and conversations. Richard has written, designed, and published 90 books, created the TED Conference, which he chaired from 1984 to 2003, as well as the EG Conference, TED Med, and the WWW Suite of Gatherings. He has been awarded numerous honorary degrees, and he uh, is the recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Smithsonian. So... Without further ado, welcome, Richard, on Searching for the Question Live. Yeah, well, excuse me. Thank you, David. Um, that was a, I have a couple corrections to your introduction, and that's a good place to start. Um, I seldom use the word knowledge. I almost always use the word learning. Um, because learning touches my, viscerally touches me. It, it, it's, it's automatically an interactive word when you tell your listeners that, you, that what you are trying to do is, what you're encouraging is their learning. Uh, it's, um, understanding is a, an under, is, a, is a good word. I use it, obviously, as the title of part, some of my books I have, Understanding USA, Understanding Children, Understanding Healthcare, and then Understanding Understanding. And I like that word. It, it's it, again. It goes in, in into into my into my soul. It, it's not about our our quest, which we have now for for uh, big data. It's for big understanding, because big data uh, doesn't. It's like horsepower in a car that you can't use. Uh, I, I have a Bentley Continental, and it says in the book that it can go 206 miles an hour, which is absurd. I mean. Uh, there's a, uh, first of all, I, I've been in a car on a racetrack going 120. I was scared shitless. I mean, it was it was terrifying. There's no place here uh, in in Miami that you you go more than 45 miles an hour, maybe 55. Sometimes on a highway when it's not jammed. Uh, the 206, well, it's, it's a number, and, and yet it's a boastful number. They use it as a boastful thing, as they use big data as a boastful thing when they don't have understanding. And without understanding, uh, uh, that is, is, is useful, useless. Uh, so I'm interested in, in, in understanding and the, and the usefulness of it. And you mentioned uh, uh, it, is, uh, it is a book uh, that you also published. 
uh, understanding, understanding, which was one layer more, right? Uh, and uh, uh, this video, uh, we will share uh, the links uh, in the show notes so anybody can uh, find this specific video, which is beautiful, where you are leafing uh, through this uh, very stimulating and exciting book. Tell us a little bit about the book, and then uh, I will ask you about these layers of abstraction. Perhaps at the end I'll do that. But one thing that I <clears throat> I never flog books. I don't try to sell my books. This book was never sent to anybody for review. This book cannot be found in any bookstore. If you know about the book, you can find it on on Amazon. They have a few copies left. But I really don't care about selling books. My last book I did, which is called Mortality, the one after this, I, I printed 20-some thousand. They were 20,000 were given away at a conference of 20,000 people. I kept 500. The gentleman who helped me on it kept 500. It was not sent for review. It was out of print the moment it came out. I'm not trying to sell books. I'm not a bookseller. I'm not a book publisher. I, 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 that is not my, I, and I don't let people when they, I try not to let people, which I have the power to do when they come to my meetings, not to vlog a book or a product or anything from the stage. Uh, that's under advantage of a captive audience. So but I, there, is, there is a similarity. You said the moment the book came out was already sold out, which is exactly the way it went with Ted. That, yes. that the moment you announced it, it was already gone, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would always, everybody would know at the conference that at the end of the conference, at a certain moment, the last day, I would say, you can now sign up. And then it was all gone for the following year. I never advertised. I didn't do posters. I, it was before the internet, the early conferences. And, uh, and it wasn't trying to get the most number of people, obviously not, or would have had it in a bigger place. Uh, or charge more money or do all that. I charge plenty. It was, that wasn't the issue. The issue always do, is doing good work and it's solving the puzzle. My life is just trying to solve a puzzle. It's not, it's not really, uh, it's not really uh, about uh, you, David, or your listeners. I hate to say that because then I'm disliked and I'm thought of as being not compassionate. But let me tell you one truth to begin with. I don't think you can fault me on this truth. And then it puts it in context, uh, what I'm saying, and it doesn't make me into an evil monster. I can't possibly know what you or any of your listeners are thinking now. It's impossible. None of them can possibly understand what I'm thinking or have any idea of what I'm thinking. Uh, if, if I, that's just the truth. Uh, if I don't know what you're thinking, I can't think that what I am doing is uh, I don't get speakers that I think the audience will like. I don't do things that I think you will like. I try to speak or do work that I think is good myself because I'm the only one who can really judge it because I can't trust your judgment because I don't really know what you're thinking. And, and uh, rather than negatively, I, I welcome that kind of attitude because what it tells me is that if you didn't think you would have fun in this conversation, you wouldn't have accepted joining. So That's you good. being here is, is a guarantee. Uh, this is not possible, but I turned down several of these a week because uh, I don't like it. 
but I, I like talking to you because uh, I, I enjoy, the, the only thing I do better than you, David, the only thing I do better than you, and the only thing that I do better than any of your listeners is I'm, I, I, am, I, am, I more embrace my ignorance. I know how vacuously stupid I am. I really understand the vacuum that's my brain. I understand how dumb I am. And my goal is to try to put myself in the, in the, in the location of people smarter than I am. That you're smarter than I am. Obviously, I've, I've always known that. You're one of the big head people. Uh, I understand so little. Now, that is, is nothing I'm ashamed of because uh, basically I'm not that smart. And the fact that I, that I know how dumb I am has, has, has been the driving force of my interesting life. It's my ignorance that drives me to do to do any project books or the conferences are always putting me in this ooze of intelligence this ooze of 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 people who can see a pattern that i can't see or allow me to see their pattern and their pattern these two patterns and i put them together and i have a moment of seeing how two things put together create a third so I, I have this, the big design problem is not a car and it's not a building and it's not a new computer and it's not a, anything. The big, pro, the big design problem is designing your life. So that's what I've tried to do. I've accepted, I've accepted my limitations. I, I can't pole vault. I can't type. I can't uh, use a computer uh, hardly at all. I mean, this was all, as you know, I stumbled through this with my assistant and you. Uh, I, uh, this is the first time I have ever used these things in my ears. I've never used these things. Uh, uh, my only preparation for this was that you said, please wear a scarf. I always wear a scarf when I give a speech. So I'm wearing a scarf. It's a nice scarf. And I wore the shirt that was on a picture you had because I thought that was funny because that picture was taken about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And uh, so I found the shirt and wore it this morning. But other than that, it's it, it's always a question. There was a there was a Nobel Prize winner by the name of Isidore Rabi, R A D I, and uh, he came over with his family uh, to the United States in 1899, and um, they moved to Chicago. And he went to school in Chicago, and uh, and this was part of his speech when he later on got the Nobel Prize. He said when when his friends came home from school every day. Their mothers would say to them, so what did you learn at school today? What did the teachers tell you at school today? What did you learn? He said, my mother said, Izzy, what are the questions you asked? Did you ask any good questions today? That's wonderful because that's part of the word that you use in the title of this series that attracted me. Well, well it's not the answer. Yeah. It's much, much easier to, to ask a good question, to give a brilliant answer than ask a good question. A yeah. good question is difficult. The SAT test, ACT test, the test 
that in America, maybe other parts of the world, they've rolled something different. I know this is international. I don't know what they do in Pakistan. I don't know what they do in Italy. I don't know what they do in different places uh, to get you into a high school or to a college or to a, uh, some other place you take tests. And these tests are tests where you write a little paragraph or you answer multi-choice or ABC or give a number as a solution to a question, right? Now those tests would really be better if what you were asked to do from a selection of a, a, a by, by random selection from a thousand, 10,000 subjects, write down 10 good questions that you would like to know about each of those subjects. That would tell me more about you than your answer. Yeah, and and uh, when 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 schools uh, struggle with the wonderful tools like Wikipedia because uh, the the teachers are still stuck on providing knowledge and they feel threatened by the availability of knowledge, I always believe that it is so liberating to be able and go one layer above rather than. Uh, sending the young kids to the to the library to find an article that they copy over uh, on a piece of paper, uh, the the class can say what is in our city that would be worthy of being covered in Wikipedia, and there is no article yet, and let's write it. How exhilarating it can be for for young children uh, to see that uh, what they are creating is being incorporated. Uh, as 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 the common shared understanding of humanity about itself, uh, and and the schools uh, should um, uh, encourage, of course, both uh, asking questions, uncomfortable questions, as well as that kind of common common experience of discovery. I try to stay away from the word "should," "must," "have to," you know, all those absolute words. I, I think it'd be interesting. If along with uh, uh, with uh, making available certain information, uh, which I'll get into in a minute, of making information clear and its modalities, because that's certainly something I'm interested in doing, is that you had uh, 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 the option from the very beginning, or as a thread through your whole learning experience. The, the structure and the nature of, of what a question is, uh, the structure and the nature of what a good conversation is. A conversation basically is a series of questions. Uh, you ask the questions, I respond, I ask you a question. A good conversation is question, <laughs> questions back and forth. That's, and some of, not all, but many of the greatest uh, scientific and creative discoveries have, has come from Two people that not necessarily did the same thing or liked each other, uh, but who uh, who asked questions of each other. <laughs> Gilbert and Sullivan hated each other. Uh, they produced. I didn't know that, did they? Oh yes, yes, yes. they just liked each other. Uh, well, Watson and Crick didn't like each other. Uh, the people I'm who, less surprised about that. Uh, who created uh, uh, the, the, the who discovered or. Uh, to the marvel, we always have to give credit now. Yep. We uh, should do the discovery of a pattern they saw in a photograph that uh, some other person did. Um, uh, so it's it's the thing, it's, it's allow. I'm interested in seeing the things that I've always seen and yet never seen. And 
And that comes from the, comes from the question. Uh, I have, um, I have a lot of little rules I make up because I enjoy it. I don't work for anybody. Nobody will hire me and I never get asked to do anything. I've done about a hundred books. You said 90. That's okay. There might not be a hundred. I just started, stopped counting at, at, in the eighties and nineties. And so whatever it is, it is. Uh, the, uh, uh, I, I've never been asked to do a book. Uh, I don't have a publisher. Uh, I don't have an agent. I don't have a distributor. I don't have a PR person. I don't have a staff. I, 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 and, and people do not call me. You would think I always thought I would be asked to be on boards. I've never been asked to be on a board. Uh, it, that didn't seem, still doesn't seem logical to me. I get one little bit of logic out of it that, that the perception would be, perception would be that I would, uh, I would, uh, uh, uh be too assertive of my, my feelings, which I'm not, by the way. If, if there's a better idea anywhere, I'll steal it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just like good ideas. I'm not for, I have no pride of authorship. You know, it, to me, life is a continuing search to find shoulders to stand on. Uh, I, I don't care about that, but I, 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 I do think this thinking of the structure of of, 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 of learning and the subjects and the way of organization of information. I said to you uh, a couple of days ago, when we spoke first on the phone, that had been previously, a while ago, I got interested in how you organize information because I realized the organization of information actually creates new information. Mm-hmm. However you decide to organize it, it, it actually creates, new, if you organize it from the biggest country to the smallest country, that's a piece of information. Big to small, you're shocked at which is the smallest. If you organize it by population, that or- that, that, or- that tells you a different organization. That, that organization alone, you do nothing. You add no information here. You've just organized existing things and it gives you a different answer. So I've been interested in the organization of information. I've also been interested in innovation. And I realized that when you go into San Francisco, there's a big sign where there's city of innovation. And then there's some car company that says a few years ago, they, they did great innovation. They put a camera on the back of their car. So you saw who you ran over or something when you backed up or, uh, that's not innovation. Uh, in fact, I started thinking, well, what are the ways that you can innovate? Uh, and, and my iPhone, which we all say, oh, it's a brilliant innovation. No, well, it's innovation by addition. Uh, it's the adding of many things that Apple did not invent, most things, virtually all, uh, that they did, that they, that they packaged together, put together, added a little piece of design to it. And it was innovation by addition. Uh, there's innovation that comes because of need. There's innovation that comes because it's the opposite of things. Um, uh, uh, Niels Bohr, another Nobel Prize winner uh, from Denmark, and who had violent debates with, with, uh, but they were friends with Einstein, said he was rather arrogant. And he said, uh, when he had a profound idea, he thought that he did have profound ideas. When he had a profound idea, the opposite was also profound. <laughs> So many things are discovered by the opposite of things. And as you uh, gained experience uh, through the years, uh, 
did you have the desire and the opportunity to um, analyze how you learned and whether those methods evolved themselves? Did you become better in discovering these patterns? Or everything you learned, you learned in kindergarten? I don't remember who says that. Well, I didn't say that. And the answer to your first question is yes, but I didn't finish my the ways of innovation. I did A, I did N, me, A was out uh, by, uh, you know, uh, uh, by addition. N was need, O was the opposite. S was subtraction. Yeah. Now, let me tell you about subtraction because it has to do with a conference that I used to do called TED. It's not done this way now, but the way it was originated was I wanted to do a conference that I wanted to go to. Uh, sounds very simple, but it's not very, it's not a very simple sentence. Not very simple. If you have to really think of what you want to do and where you want to be and what, and that you don't want to add to your own boredom with life or experience that you want to be someplace you want to be. Well, not so easy to think of. Uh, you'll see what I mean after this whole stuff is over. Anyway, I took away the lectern. Uh, so you couldn't put a speech down and read it. I took away rehearsing for speeches. So you had to really give a speech you hadn't given before or talk to the audience. Now the rehearsal and the memorization and the editing and the production of the speech is so they work out and the lighting and the makeup is, 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 the, is that's really the opposite of what I was doing. And I was trying to do the opposite of what people were doing uh, when I did the first TED and all the others. Um, I uh, took away VIP seating, uh, different costs for different seats. Even the speakers didn't have a seat safe for them. You could have a seat safe for you if you were a cripple or over 90 or my wife. Uh, I took away the ability for somebody to sell a book from the stage or sell a movie or sell unless it really contributed in a fundamental way of a pattern for other people, but not to sell a book because these are the 10 different ways you should do something or, uh, or selling a charity, uh, which got me into trouble a lot because people who, uh, who are do-gooders think they have the right to sell their do-gooding so they can raise money. And that, that, that was a troublesome thing. The hardest thing was to get people not to be, uh, just to, to, to go, use the stage, the platform for a captive audience, uh, asking them for money. I thought that was, that was inappropriate. Uh, I didn't have many tracks you could go through that people were doing in conferences then, because I thought everybody should have a, a, the same experience. So they had the ability during the hour breaks to know what each other saw and could comment on it. Because the most important thing of a meeting is the space between the meeting. Music, the space between the notes, the time for discussion, the time for, it's not the speeches, it's not the presentations, it's the time between the presentation and the person you can meet to your left and your right. So you couldn't save a seat. You met people that you didn't know and they became people you wanted to know. And you met people standing in line to get in the auditorium. I didn't let people freely come into the auditorium and fill it up. When the time was right, 
three minutes before it was to start, and it started in three minutes after that. I played Aida's Triumphal March music, and people came in, but they'd been waiting in line maybe 15 minutes, and they started talking to people because that was a randomized thing, the line. They talked to people they wouldn't have talked to or met. That was, everything was done. There was no separate lunches. There was no separate dinners. They, somebody did a billionaire's dinner. I didn't approve of that. I wanted everybody to be as accessible as anybody else. The speakers could only come if they stayed. They couldn't just come and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was thought about. I had beautiful furniture on the stage. The, state, the house lights were always up so you could see the audience, even if it denigrated the slides a little bit. It was better to see the audience. Everything was done for the ability of people to see and talk to each other. I, and, didn't, and, tell, I didn't tell the audience I was doing this. I didn't make a thing of it. I and, just and, did. and today, uh, there is a beautiful challenge um, for all of us uh, in uh, a period of uh, lockdown when uh, people cannot travel to physical conferences. Very difficult. To design a digital experience that is valuable in order to uh, speakers and attendees and all the other participants to feel that uh, their time is worth investing in it. Well, David, this is the first one I've done since I've been six weeks or more uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in in this quarantine. And it was because of the way you designed this, just the two of us, uh, me respecting you a great deal, not 20 people chiming in. We could almost talk at the same time, not cut each other off. Uh, it was open-ended. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to say. You didn't know what you were going to ask quite. Uh, and uh, and it, 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 it approaches uh, the design of, of the WWW conference, which was 50 people uh, two at a time who had a uh, non-agenda conversation with somebody many times they didn't know and many times they didn't do the same thing as them. And no slides, no visuals. They couldn't blog a book. They couldn't put, they couldn't be a caption on the screen. Uh, that's why I was pushing that away in the beginning here. It was just the purity of it was the conversation and, and, and where it went. Now, by the way, I'm still not finished by a nose. I got a n o s e a nose, so you can remember it. Uh, this is the way of innovation, and the e is epiphany. There are some things we innovate that just come to people, <laughs> like a post-it note, <laughs> like Land wanting to do instant photography. There's yeah. things that just me wanting to do my access guide, me wanting to do Ted. Just something that nobody asked me to do. Nobody wanted it. Nobody needed it. Nobody paid me for it or any of these other people. They did it because they just had this idea and they, they had it so bad they could taste it. And that's the epiphany. So if you remember a nose, yep. A-O-S-E, you remember that. If you remember the word latch, L-A-T-C-H, those are the five ways of, of organizing information. Uh, alphabet. Well, we'll do it by latch. Location, 
and for for L, A, alphabet, T, time, C, category, and H, hierarchy. Uh, now, that's the way you can organize information. I thought when I started doing that chapter of my book, Information Anxiety, that there would be, I knew I had to have a chapter on the organization of information. And I thought my preconception was uh, I could hint at it, but there was an infinite number of ways of organizing things. It turns out that now for, I guess it's been out at least 20 years, and millions of people have seen it and heard about it and read it. And people have done films on it and even passioned the two books on information collections that are based on my theory, based on Richard Solerman's theory of latch out, how he organizes the book. So it holds some water. Now, if somebody thinks of a sixth or a seventh, it's okay with me too. I just thought it up. There's no science involved. Uh, and there was no testing involved. There was not a moral intercept. There was no vote. Uh, but it works. And it's very helpful to me. You asked a question. Now I'm answering. I don't forget your question. Did I learn this all in kindergarten or has this helped me? Yes, it's helped. And before I start every project, I certainly go through my own laws of information architecture, which is a term I invented. And I go through the, the, that, these laws of information architecture of the organization of information. Uh, how you show the change of magnitude visually, various cardiographic uh, inventions that I've come up with because I work a lot in cartography, as you know, with uh, Esri, uh, and uh, I uh, and I and I and the ideas of innovation is what I'm doing with innovation, and which ones become more attractive to me and my personality and seem to work better than others. I don't sit around thinking I'm going to come up with a new idea for the epiphany thing either do or you don't but i certainly start off everything i'm doing trying to get rid of that preconception and thinking of the opposite i use that a lot so when i think of what i want to do next i really try to milk milk the idea of, of the what are what is a, a valid and profound opposite to my preconception of that thing I don't understand. And so I use that a lot. Now other things work too. I subtract things, et cetera. Uh, I mean, but, you, but it's obvious I do a book, I did the big fat book that you sort of had up there called Understanding Understanding. But the next book I do is on death, called Mortality, Mapping Mortality. They don't seem to connect. Well, to me, everything's the same. Everything is trying to find patterns. And that's what you do. Ultimately, that's why you're smart. Ultimately, that's what you talk about. Ultimately, your life is about finding out. Uh, the curiosity that drives us, the uh, desire to learn, to discover patterns is a profoundly human uh, uh, feature, a human tract. And many of us wonder if uh, we will be able to imbue these goals, I would even say these yearnings in artificial intelligences. Do you believe uh, that uh, is is something that we should aim to achieve? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. I thought you were going to go someplace else with that question. And I was going to give you an unpopular answer. You know, does everybody have these curiosities? Can we, te can we teach or can we allow, help people learn 
how stupid they are and, and embrace it. Uh, can we uh, have people understand the difference between uh, a board of education and a board of learning? Does the pre next president have on his board uh, a secretary of understanding? Uh, the, 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 will these things happen, right? And I was gonna give you some popular and unpopular ways of answering that, but you didn't ask me that question. You went and leaped to artificial intelligence. My goodness. Uh, uh, we're, it, 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 it's, uh, it's like, uh, I think it's when they came up with iron, they, they didn't immediately have a conversation about stainless steel uh, uh, or chrome and chrome plating of the iron. <laughs> it just didn't. It yeah. took a while. And so we're at that stage now uh, of, of the artificial intelligence. Uh, if we parse through the things of innovation that I said, I think there are certain elements of any idea you could figure if have it, if you could somehow have it break down the, the, the pixels of that idea, what I'm saying is can't be done. And it's, it's as best I can describe what I had in mind, but it's a dream, it's not reality. I can't, somebody asked me, what the hell do you mean by that? I can't tell them. But if you could break down the pixels of an idea and then flip them to the opposite, uh, with uh, artificial intelligence and a billion different alternatives, yes, if you could look at that opposite thing. If you could look at how, what makes up uh, uh, the pattern of some existing thing and what is the elements of them, what is the essence of them. And like I was talking about in the WWW conference, which was better than the TED conference, I tried to find the essence. I told you all the things I subtracted when I did the TED conference. But then, years later, I thought there's a better way of doing this. I could take away images on the screen. I could take away any presentation where they face the audience. And I could approach the, the, the joy of a conversation between two extraordinary people. Finding, un, un, with no agenda, finding their way through the maze of solving a puzzle that they were given, of, of, uh, of some mystical journey. And so that, in a sense, was how I would instruct uh, some artificial intelligence machine of what you can further take away to find the essence of things and then build back up again. So um, why you, don't I, why, are, why, why? I, I'm gonna ask myself a question and answer it, then you ask me what you're gonna answer. Well, if it was so good, Mr. Werman, why don't you keep on doing it? Why don't you do it? Can you make it a little bit better? Yes, I can make it a little bit better, but I, I, it was good enough and I don't want to do something that I've already done good enough. It's, I don't want to do it anymore. If I've done something, why do it again? Yeah, and and uh, and these days, uh, people would jump and, and term it uh, ADD, uh, but uh, it, is, it, is, it is not, first of all, um uh, you can you can have uh, a, a very curious attention that you have the ability to uh, orient wherever you want and second it is abusive to label it uh, as if it were something negative uh, the knowledge that you definitely could iterate 
and through iteration it could improve but since you know it then doing it is not necessarily anything that gives you something additional it, rather uh attempting yeah, so something unknown is much more enjoyable and much more valuable you were there right you Sorry? were there oh you yeah I, was there. I it was it was mind-blowing it was absolutely fabulous okay i love it you have to say nice things because you're interviewing me and that's your audience you too but truly i can ask you a question because once i do something i do not have pride of authorship all right ask you it was the best conference i ever went to uh it was just really good was it perfect no was there high spots and lower spots yes that didn't make it not wonderful <laughs> the mistakes sometimes make it better so many things some things that you already mentioned others that you did not for example there was no stage that was right. distinct from where the audience were sitting so right. the, the 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 speakers were also uh geometrically or topologically united with uh, with the people Topologically, but they never turned to face the audience yeah they were part of the audience in a way yeah yeah, it was it was wonderful. Um, do you do you like uh, to be wrong? And if yes, what are some outrageous things that you would like to be wrong about? Let me give you an example. Uh, I I like changing my mind. Right? Sometimes I get irritated when I'm wrong, but uh, about small things. When the thing is big enough, uh, it it would be amazing. Uh, for example. I do not believe in psychic phenomena, um, um, telekinesis and telepathy and, and uh, you know, whatever, whatever those things are. But would I want to be wrong about them? It would be incredible to live in a world where they exist. So that is just one example. Is there anything that comes into your mind that you, you are convinced it is one way but if it were the other way, you would be very pleasantly uh, ready to change your mind. David, you know you answered your own question. Well, I just gave an example. Why would I say anything different than what you just said? All right. Okay. Um, and and uh, it, would, it wouldn't make any sense to say anything different, right? I mean, I am, a, I am fond I am in awe of David Blaine's magic. I know <sighs> David. I know David quite well. I don't know if you've seen this spot yeah. on television, but I've seen. I've gone to shows of David, and I have had dinner with David. I've had lunch with David. I've been with him, and I see his magic close up like this, and I cannot understand it at all. So I don't understand. There's something that's going on that I. There's no possible way. And I, oh, I don't want to know <laughs> because uh -huh. it's so artful. Yeah. And if 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 Yo-Yo could explain his aura and explain in some way that I could understand the pain and the joy of what it mean, meant to practice so much from when he was four years old and the difficulty and the joy of his life. I almost want to not know that and just be part of his bubble. 
So yeah, he, he's, he's really amazing. And uh, it, you saw him at that conference. Yep. I mean, and people came in the auditorium talking. And of course, I was playing music. I was playing uh, Mozart's uh, 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 something funny came up here. Yeah, I, I'm sharing David Blaine's uh, website. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, well, there's also a chapter in my book on David Blaine, uh, which he talks about the, the throwing up of frogs, which I've seen him do, where he can, can throw up, has frogs in the stomach, and he can throw up frogs. Oh, he, he taught me when I was 75 years old, in 20 minutes in front of it, it, at one of the TED Med conferences, that's another conference, as you know, I did, yeah. uh, that in front of the, an audience of... I don't know, 600 people, whatever it was. And I was 75, and you know I'm not athletic or a runner or any of those things or a swimmer. I can't do anything when it comes down to it. Uh, he taught me three exercises of, of exhaling uh, uh, CO2 in three different ways, sequentially. I did them rigorously. Took 20 minutes, you know, six, seven minutes for each exercise. Then he says, hold your breath now and put up, uh, I will signal you every five minutes and put up one finger so I know you're alive or you're not passed out. And I held my breath for four minutes and 17 seconds. Wow. I couldn't do it now. I couldn't do it the next day. You can't do it. No. But I saw that you could learn a technique. A year or so later, I said, "Can you make it? Uh, can you make me go up to five? He said, "Yes, but it would, but it, but it wouldn't be healthy." Apologies, somebody's uh, spamming with with a call. Go ahead. That's okay. It sounds pretty. Um, he said, "I could teach you, but it, it, it could, it could, it, it's not healthy for you." He yeah. said, I was surprised you did four minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, I didn't think you would do that, but you're depriving your brain of oxygen. That's really not good. He says, I work on it much harder. And of course, he does it for 19 minutes. But there's things that you can't believe that become believable. Uh, there's, there's, there's athletic things where people stretch their human, their body, which is such a limited resource. I mean, we all want to run like a cheetah. We can't, so we invent an automobile. We all want to fly like a bird, so we have airplanes. We all want to do something else that extends our sensory thing in some way. But then we do things like we have, as I said, cars that go faster than we can drive. Uh, we have, we spend a lot of money on various sound devices that are better than our ears. Uh, we put so many pixels now in our television sets that we see warts and whiteheads and other things on people's faces that we don't want to see because <laughs> we this desire to look at them better, you know. So we then we want to extend all our senses. We want to make it better, more. It's progress, you know. Why, why, why? You know, how to make it better? And I've been thinking in the last. Two weeks in, in one of the ideas I've been thinking about, and I can't express it yet, that it makes sense anyway. I've tried a couple of phone calls to express, and it comes out stupid. 
and the meaning of progress, uh, of the driving force that we have of progress. You're talking about artificial intelligence. That's progress. That's sort of a next step, next logical step. Is there ever, is there points where you don't do the next logical step? That progress is not, uh, does not improve the quality of ideas, life, or creativity. That it could have, a, that it has a deadening effect, or is that really a Luddite conversation? Am I really being stupid? And so I'm thinking about just a simple word, progress. It's a dumb word, and we all buy into it. I buy into it. But is there something that... Well, there, there, are, there are traps uh, that uh, may lay ahead of us, and we must be smarter than we today are in order to avoid them. And as a matter of fact, 10,000 years ago, we did fall into a trap like that because when we invented agriculture, it looked like a good idea, but based very simply on the height of people uh, before agriculture, it looks like there was better nutrition and a higher quality of life. And it took us literally 10,000 years to come out at the other end and conclude it was worth it because agriculture built cities and cities built uh, a higher density of ideas and that brought us where we are now and and lifespan of uh, any human individual doubled but it just happened over the course of the last 100 or 200 years for 10,000 years it looked like a, a really dumb idea Whoever sold us agriculture and progress, short, uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't uh, uh, good. So well, there, ask, there will be others like that. I'm going to ask you a question I just thought of, never thought of it before. It only comes from this kind of conversation. Did we ruin the game of chess with the computer? Um, so Kasparov um, said after being defeated, uh, that uh, it was almost like cheating because the programmers were also twiddling with the parameters of the deep blue machine. But after a while, he realized, and, and it became a term in, in the chess parlance, that um, uh, minotaurs are better than either machine or human alone. And for uh, uh, some amount of time, uh, there were uh, tournaments where it, there would be a, a human chess master playing together with the machine against a, a, a couple similarly composed. And uh, when Deep uh, Mind, a, a Google division, beat uh, Lee Sedol uh, three years ago, uh, the world champion of Go, which is a much more complex game than chess combinatorially. Uh, what was amazing is that the, the machine made a move, move 37 in game three of the tournament. Now, you know that, what, wait, excuse me, you know the mystical, the mystique behind the number 37. No, I, I, I don't. When we get off this call, you'll. Oh, that's that's 34 that's 30. 34 you are thinking of 34 the rule the rule 34 
and 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 uh, this show is not politically correct. It is not for kids. So if you want to talk about uh, dirty things, you're welcome. That's what Rule 34 is. Well, look at 37 and look at 17. Okay, I, we will do all of that. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, so the machine made a move that seemed completely illogical, but after many, many steps further in the great game, everybody understood that was the moment the machine won, and the commentators were saying, we are playing this game thousands of years, and this machine is now making us discover incredible um, universes of creativity we didn't even realize were laying there ahead of us. So it, it looks like in very small ways that are still circumscribed in, in particular areas of, of human adventure, machines not only um, become partners, but machines open areas of creativity that alone we couldn't. And, and for me, that is exhilarating. My question seemed loaded. I've never asked it before. And it seemed loaded against the machine. But it wasn't loaded. It's a, it's a, it's a genuine question. Because is the, that's why I was saying it. It's just part of my venture into progress. This is a certain time. Is it progress? I've just started. You don't know parts of my life. I know that. And part of my life is painting. And I paint uh, watercolors a lot. And I just about uh, eight or nine months ago, I did the first piece of sculpture I ever did. And it turned out, it turned out well, fairly large. And I have had it cast in bronze. And now I have uh, uh, seven uh, well, several at the cast that are being scanned and they'll be cast. It's quite a complicated thing. Uh, I, I couldn't do it myself. Uh, to cast something in bronze with the lost wax process takes people in suits. And the, it's a very complicated technological thing to cast something in bronze. And we look at these bronze casting and we think, oh, well, so-and-so Bernini did this and somebody else did this and these beautiful things. And we only think of the human quality, not the fact that the tremendous technology went into making those things that they can't just be made a person can't make it without without the help of technology and you take the, st the same argument back three steps and you you go to that wonderful church just outside the walls in rome where the big statue oversized statue of moses is and you realize that that uh, that uh michelangelo uh, could you could only make Moses because of, of a technology because of a hammer and a chisel, oh, uh, which very uh, he couldn't do with his hands, right? Now that hammer and chisel uh, helped them cut the big block of stone, and he wanted to, and he said he wanted to let Moses out. Moses was in that stone, but he could have also turned around and taken that hammer and killed his assistant. I didn't know that. He could. Well, oh, said, you, no, you didn't say he did. He could, yes. Sort of turned around and killed his assistant. So it's a way of absolute judgment, black and white, you know, right, wrong, yes, no, of technology being the only way that you can create many things. And technology also 
being used to destroy things. The same technology. I took something so simple as a hammer, but you yeah. can see it's the same thing doing it one way or the other. Yes. Uh, and, and so this, our, this idea of chess and progress and the hammer interests me. Our um, assumption has been implicitly for many or for most that uh, the, the balance is not equal. And on average, technology uh, is, is a positive force. And yeah. as you say, there is no guarantee that uh, that that kind of assumption holds true forever. Um, you you mentioned mortality, and and uh, you know uh, uh, we we all think about it in many ways. And and one way that I am thinking about it that connects the issue of progress and the benefit of progress to mortality is that. Uh, Hundreds of years ago, progress existed, but it was slow enough to be imperceptible within the lifespan of an individual. Today, it is fast enough that all of us are exposed to it, some of us to the point where we have a hard time adapting to the speed of change. An example is the truck driver. The average uh, age of a truck driver in the U.S. is 54. He's been driving for 30 years, did nothing else in his life, uh, and, and, and self-driving trucks are coming. So uh, from, from the top of our you know, creativity and experimentation and yearning and learning and curiosity, somewhat condescendingly, we tell the truck driver, well, don't worry. Uh, just become a web designer. There are so many jobs, an uncounted number of jobs you can do. However, both for him as well as for us, there are limits to our adaptability. And recognizing those limits and then understanding if we can push through is, I think, very strongly correlated with our will to live. And when we understand that we cannot push through again unless we accept becoming something different from ourselves that is when we are ready to die i think i, I get you and in a more even a bigger early in the conversation about the truck driver i thought you were going to go down a different path and that path is the path i was going to because i think the whole idea of trucks is silly <laughs> okay i don't get trucks why? I mean, why? Well, yeah, sure, make them so they drive themselves. You're still driving themselves. It's still a fucking truck. I mean, it's still a truck. It's a truck. The same way we talked a couple days ago about the chariot wheels being two horses wide and the car wagon, the wheels on a, on a trainer, two horses wide, and our car wheels are two horses wide. And we just said, yeah, well, of course, that's the way you do it. Uh, but I don't understand why you do it. Why you, what is a Tesla? It's a better car. What's a car? It's, it's a, you know, it's a lousy way of getting from one place to another. Whether somebody self drives it or you drive it, it's just, yeah. Uh, I, I, I would, I would really go backwards and take, you brought this up earlier, this moment, this pause, this strange moment. I mean, uh, we, we, 
people are talking about how the new normal and what, what is going to change. Will there ever be conferences again? Will we ever do certain other things? Is it time to change certain things? Uh, I must say, the idea of walking on a plane and, uh, and uh, uh, commandeering the plane because I have a, a gun or a, or, or a nail file and being searched becomes really a joke now. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very funny thing that we totally fucked up our airplane system ultimately because somebody jumped out of the back of a plane with a bag of money years ago and we think he died in the woods or something. And then somebody else hijacked the plane uh, for political reasons and then it changed our whole way of traveling. Uh, on a, on a, in a way that we probably shouldn't, might not be the best way of traveling. Nobody questioned the way we're traveling. <laughs> Nobody checked, you know, checked, you know, how you um, boarded a plane or got off the plane. I, if there's anything stupid, it's getting off of a plane, standing in line in an aisle and getting your bags down from the, it's primitive. Are you kidding? They fall, they hit old people. They're up above you. They're not down below. They're, the bags are stupid. Everybody hates baggage and they hate and they try to get more on because they charge you for, for, for checking it. Everything is wrong about the whole system and nobody questions it. It's, it's not comfortable and it gets less, they make it purposely less comfortable. Of course, if you pay less. Uh, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm trying to look at things in a more fundamental way when I talk about progress and what we want. You know, everything takes place someplace which means the organization of a newspaper should be all the headlines with lines to various few maps on the front cover to see where they take place and then what page they are in the newspaper. Because that's all you're interested in. A basketball take playing, takes place someplace. A political event takes place someplace. Everything takes place someplace. Let's find a place and use that as a way of finding it. Because that's what you're looking for when you go to the newspaper. Duh, nobody's ever done that. No, we're going to watch newspapers die. Uh, we're going to watch. I hate the idea of carrying an iPhone through a city with the maps of finding things. It was much better to have a guidebook. A guidebook is a more pleasant way of having it. But we thought guidebooks aren't technology. Well, you try to produce or print something, you know it's technology. It's a different technology. And it has a lot of built-in comfort of knowing when you're near the end, where you are, turning down a page, writing on it with a pencil, doing all kinds of things, ripping something out, putting something in between a card from a restaurant and a page of the book. There's so many things you can do that are human. But no, we throw the baby out with the bathroom, right? The issues that we have when you go, when you just use the word progress, and it does this evil dance with, with, with technology. And, uh, uh, you get, you are locked into a path. You're not locked into all paths. You're locked into a path. And there's an A solution to any problem. There's several ways of solving problems. So there's a, 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 a the emphasis on technology. I mean, look at me. I'm not, I'm not saying follow me because it's been a detriment in part of my life and has made the rest of my life wonderful. I can't type. Well, that's a shock. 
Of course you should be able to type. Everything is typing. Every, everybody knows how to type because you type in computers. Well, I've done perfectly well and my books are more readable because they're dictated and you hear me talking. Mm -hmm. uh, when you type, you have a different set of rules that go into uh, the construction of your words, sentences, and grammar than when you speak. That, does that also mean that your books should be read out loud? No, but when you read it, you hear it in your head. Yeah. Yeah. You you know that the Romans, I don't remember if it was Cicero or somebody um, who said, oh, that guy, um, I just don't believe him. He claims to have and have read 300 books. Because in Roman times, you would not read in your head. You would read out loud invariably, and that was the only way to read. And that would take a much longer time. But of course... Yeah it would also generate a different relationship with uh, what you would understand of the text uh, that you were uh, reciting. Every, every, reading was reciting. Okay, well, let's say we could, each of us uh, uh, type, uh, I could type period, and you could type 100 times faster and I could match you. And all we had on the screen was our words, mm -hmm. as opposed to this of seeing each other and then let's suppose i was in your office or you were in mine and we were just chatting which would be better than this but this is pretty good actually this is pretty good this is as good as as it gets but i'm still looking the wrong way we're not looking at each other and nobody's invented a computer that can nod people laugh when i say that but it's a perfectly obvious thing why didn't steve do a computer that nodded because you're nodding, you can't stop from nodding when I talk about something. You don't, you'd be holding your face stiff. A, a, couple, a couple of years ago, maybe three now, uh, I was double booked. Uh, I had to be in Rome and Berlin at the same time. I physically went to Rome, but I really wanted to be in Berlin too. You know what I did? I hired a mime and I put an iPad in front of his face and I was there in a in a FaceTime call, full screen, so my entire face would cover the uh, the, the the screen, and the mime studied a little bit the way I move and the way I gesture, and I delivered the talk at a conference through the mime, and and the people loved it. They actually told me that I lost a lot of weight. I was very slim. <laughs> I looked good. <laughs> And and that was a fantastic experience in, in in doubling your presence much better than the telepresence robots can do. Or, you know the things on wheels. Uh, and, and oh yeah, here you go. Our common friend Michael Smolens uh, was in the audience on Berlin in Berlin, and since I could see through the screen, I I saw he was there, and I called him up on stage. I said. Michael, come on, you flew in from New York, uh, come on stage, let's hug. And the mime was following and he improvised. Michael came on stage and, and we hugged through the body of the mime. It was just, just fantastic. Well, well, well that's good. Uh, 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 in a certain way, well, it, it's very good, but it's also an act. <laughs> it is. It is because I couldn't smell him. 
I couldn't uh, feel the touch. And this is really better than I thought. I didn't think it would be this good. Uh, uh, we're managing to pause and talk to each other quite well. And, and, and the reason I made a point of saying I hadn't said that before and I hadn't said this before or I'm following what you're saying is that Lucan, who is my mentor, the architect who's no longer alive, uh, for those people who don't know who Lucan is, look him up. Yeah, could, could you spell the name? K-A-H-N. So I know you have a lot of Pakistani people, and it's not K-H-A-N, it's K-A-H-N. Uh, he did the, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, capital of uh, Bangladesh in Dhaka. Uh, that doesn't make him a friend necessarily of, of, uh, of uh, Pakistan, but uh, when he did it, he was first hired by the head of Pakistan at that time, whose name was K-H-A-N, yeah. uh, the great general, the Khan, yeah. and Khan, Khan, and then they split up, and now he did that. Anyway, uh, he said he only said something new when he was talking to one other person, that when he was talking to two people, it was, uh, it was a performance. And there is uh, an element of that, I don't know if it's scientifically true, it's mostly true. Anything that's mostly true is fine with me because it gets like calculus. You never come to an answer with calculus, but you get close to an answer. So that's close to an answer for me. Uh, so I said, in this conversation, I said a couple things and I thought about a couple things I hadn't thought of quite the same way. So it, this conversation actually was helpful to me. It advanced me and it would have been like you were in my office and we were having a conversation and it gave me some I mean, the thing that the discussion about Go, uh, my bringing up of, of, of chess, the ideas of progress, your ideas of the mind, uh, the, the WWW conference, doing it again, not doing it again, um, typing, all those things together just don't, won't normally come up if you write things on text on, yeah. on back and forth. They just yeah. don't. Uh, uh, and yet that's the way we're going. Uh, we're going in the direction of people not, of, of, I've been invited to so many different conferences with many people on the screen, with Zoom, with this and that, with people talking and you can't talk at the same time, you cut off each other and you can't handle it. And it's, it's the, 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 the people somehow are attracted to do what they're able to do rather than what might be good to do. Hmm. And, and too few ap apply your rule of taking away things. Um, the, 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 one of the reasons why you may appreciate the platform we are using now is because it doesn't do a lot of things. But, but the simple things that it does uh, are pretty effortless. And that is why the interface uh, not quiet, but is uh, starting to disappear. And when it it will, uh, because, for example, we will be able to build uh, the objective of the lens right inside, smack inside the screen, so that your eyes will be right where the lens is, and I will look your eyes and you will look my eyes, that is when we will feel even closer to each other. 
it. But and that's, that's good progress, and that's simple. And we are, we 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 know we have the ability to do that. We will. Somebody who wants to do that will do that. Elon Musk is working on telepathy, and of course, first it is applied to. Uh, people who lost uh, their ability to move their hands or their legs, because those are the ones that uh, 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 that that want to go through at any cost the well, experiment of the brain implant. But and after ten years, we, after we ten years, it will be for everybody. Will you want to have telepathy, or you would the techno not not the magical the technological means? of merging your thoughts with another human being, will that be something that you would embrace? I'll take that whole conversation backwards because it's a question of what I would like. And here's what I would really like. I would like to have interesting days. Wonderful. You how, now, do you see how different that answer is? Yeah. That if yeah. my days, if I get up, it doesn't have to be a happy day. Mm -hmm. I don't even have to feel well that day. Mm -hmm. But if it's interesting, I I feel life. Mm -hmm. So this conversation has been an interesting conversation. So it's an interesting day. And what did it produce? Something in my head, something in your head. I don't know what's going on in your head, David. I've told you some of the things going on, but I don't really, they're all scrambled in my head. I'm really, in the end, a dumb shit that got, had a, had a, a, a much more interesting life than I anticipated. But that's my goal, is to have a much more interesting life than I anticipated. Not, it's not, it's not. The wealth, and, it's not and, and the way you say it uh, is is appropriately ambiguous because you did say it is not about good or enjoyable, uh, painless, uh, and and may you have an interesting, may you live in interesting times. That is one I don't know if Chinese uh, say or something like yeah, that. I, I curse you, I curse you. May you live in interesting times. But it's and fine. I accept it too. Uh, I mean, the pandemic, isn't it interesting? It's amazing. We're in the curse right now. But it is so, I, I mean, I'm not saying I would not, not want it to be like this because I would want it not to be like this. But since it is, we agree. I, I am accepting it. I am embracing it. I am thriving in it. We agree. Richard, I would have you know, I wouldn't have started this new line of sculpture that I'm doing, and I wouldn't have had this conversation probably. Yes, and and I am I am very very happy of your generosity of uh, joining me and joining us. As I promised, I will send you the not only the link to the video but also the transcript, and uh, hopefully you will be able to pluck out or whoever you send it to will pluck out some some stimulating and interesting nuggets. But I want to say something to your viewers. All right. Those who have been listening for five minutes, ten minutes, who are still listening now, or go back and listen to this, or watch it in a month from now. We we didn't give you any nuggets. We didn't do anything for you. We we didn't we, we there's no tricks. There's nothing we told you of a new invention or or a new app for a phone or 
some other new way of doing things. We didn't tell you how to make more money or how to gain more power or how to, or how to solve the fact that your toe hurts and you think you might have gout. We didn't do any of those things. We, it was sort of really about nothing. And yet it was about everything. Mm-hmm. It had in it everything. It had in it friendship, respect for other people, really. Of the gestures that we made with our heads and our hands and our voices of understanding and curiosity about each other, of not dominant and subservient, not power and lack of power, uh, not stealing or plundering, or stupid things like, oh, you're looking good, or how's everything going, or all that shit that we say to each other. There was not once that we said something dumb like that. Not once. You know? I was expecting, well, you don't look bad. You're 85 now. You're an old shit. No, I didn't get any of that. That is remarkable. That is friendship. And that is thoughtful. And that is respect. And that is a payoff for a very good conversation. So if you get anything out of this, have, have some good conversations the next few days. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. And uh, I am, uh, I, I, I wish for us in the near future, and whether that means a few months or maybe next year, I don't know when, for, for me to be able to come and, and be at your place so that we can uh, sit well, again, but uh, one across the other and have another conversation. I would love that. Nice talking to you, David. Give my Thank best to you, son. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. So uh, thank you very much, uh, everybody, for um, watching Searching for the Question live with the, with the wonderful Richard Sol Worman. I will uh, see you at the next episode.